Welcome to the Tackle HIV Talking Stigma podcast. I'm Gareth Thomas, and throughout this series, I'm talking to well-known guests about stigma and resilience. What it is, what it's like to experience it, how to overcome it, and what needs to be done to make stigma a thing of the past. Joining me today is a truly inspiring individual and someone who I'm very, very much looking forward to chatting to. It's athlete Lena Nielsen. Welcome, Lena. First of all, how are you doing? Hi, Gareth. Yeah, I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm doing very, very well. I'm doing very well. Now, for those who might not be able to see, Lena is obviously in serious training at the moment because she looks absolutely fantastic. Now, Lena, you compete at the highest level for Great Britain in what is probably one of the most gruelling events anyone could ever want to take part in, and that's the 400-metre hurdles. You were the European under-20 champion, a winner at the European Team Championships, and currently ranked in the world's top 20. Now, that's pretty amazing as far as I'm concerned. But I feel what's even more amazing is that you are living with and competing with multiple sclerosis. Now, most people wouldn't think that's possible. And they'd have a certain view on what someone's life with MS was like. Now, I'd like to chat to you about, I think, some of the similarities of you living happily and very successfully with MS and me living a happy and healthy life with HIV and some of the public perceptions and barriers I think we're both working on to overcome. Um, So, first of all, I think, Lena, growing up as as a child, did you always want to be an athlete? Was it always your driven ambition? Do you know what? I don't think it was. Oh, I remember vividly either wanting to be a doctor or a funny one. I wanted to be an air hostess so I could travel the world. Wow, two total ends of the spectrum there. Two total ends of the spectrum. Those were the two things I wanted to do. And I just, I really just wanted to travel the world. And I'm so like thankful that I can do that doing track and field. Um, But it was only like when I turned about 17 or 18, which actually coincided with uh, my diagnosis, was when I decided that I wanted to. To, to do athletics, to just get as far as I could. And I never thought I'd, weirdly enough, but like everyone always goes, you know, I dream of being an Olympian, I dream of being this. And I didn't, I wasn't actually like that. I just enjoyed training and I enjoyed running for as far as I could, for as, right. fast, as fast as I could. So yeah, it was just the fun of it. And and then I just found myself doing it, you know, okay. And, and you know, signing a contract. And then I was like, wow, this is, this is something I could do. So it was, it just, I just kind of fell into it. And I like to use the term, Track and field found me instead of I found track and field. So, so on that then, when you say track and field found you, I feel it's quite um, it's coincidental that it was at that time that you feel track and field found you, that you also had your MS diagnosis. So having that diagnosis, first of all, how did that make you feel at that time with, no, with the knowledge, again, that track and field had found you at that time as well? Yeah, you know, I was so I was 17. So when I think I'm almost 27 now, it's 10 years ago. I, I just remember just feeling so young and I just wasn't ready to receive news like that. Mm. Uh, I really, really struggled and I didn't really know what it meant. You know, the, the early time I had heard of MS was in a biology class. And of course, we heard about the most, you know, dire forms of it where it was, you know, in in 10 years after the diagnosis you'll be in a wheelchair or you know you won't be able to live life and we'd see these case studies of just the most you know sad cases and I just thought that cannot be me because I want to go to the national championships and run 800 meters which was mm. my goal back then um, I did pull out of those national championships when I was um, 17 so 18 it was the under 20 England under 20 championships yeah. and I ended up pulling out but then I was you know very it kind of almost gave me a purpose I was very much like hey it's not my time now you know I was still dealing with you know the symptoms that led to that diagnosis but um I always remember thinking I'm just going to keep pushing keep pushing and see if I can get to the outdoor nationals yeah um I eventually did and and, and so on so it was a it, I was very confused within myself as as a human as a person but the athlete was always very much like I'm just going to see how far I can get and I never put a sort of goal which I think was the key I just wanted to see if I can enjoy it if I could still run um and then I just ended up just you know, hitting these check marks. So it was a, it was a bit of sweet moment of of my life. <laughs> do, do you do you feel that there was a sense of, when you say you didn't know what it meant, was it a fear of the fact that if you don't know what it meant, then nobody else will know what it means. Therefore, 
therefore you kind of have to keep it a secret. But also, if you're going to, if you're going to keep it a success, uh, a secret, you want to be a success as well. You know, you want to be able to not only prove yourself wrong if you don't know what it meant and you think the worst, but also if it comes a point of having to tell everyone else, you can also prove mm-hmm. everybody else wrong. Yeah, and I think with with MS and and kind of what clouds the term MS is that not a lot of people know what it means. And so the one thing that a lot of people jump to or the assumptions that people make is coinciding with the word disability. Mm. And for a lot of people, the word disability is so scary. It's like, that's not me. I'm not disabled. I don't have a blue badge. And so you don't want to say you've got MS because you don't want people to automatically think that means you're disabled because that's what a lot of people think. And so for me, when I got diagnosed, firstly, I didn't want to tell people because I couldn't tell people. I was still dealing with it myself. But then when I started to accept it and I started to understand that I'd just be living life with MS, I wanted, and at this point I was also getting better as an athlete. I wanted to, my goal was to make the Olympic games. And then when I retire from track and field, I'd say, oh yeah, by the way, I also had had MS the whole time because I just wanted I wanted to show that it didn't have to mean disability mm. for a lot of people who have MS. Obviously, it's so varied and so different for a lot of people. Um, but that was my goal was to to do something first and then tell people that I had it because I wanted to show that it was possible and to not have, you know, that label of the athlete with MS while I was competing. I wanted to just compete as an athlete and then tell people. But um, mainly it was because people just assume, I guess, yeah, unknowingly they assume assume the worst when it comes to people living with MS. Yeah, and and also I I think kind of like in my cases, I think when people look at me, or when people looked at me previously before they knew about um, my HIV diagnosis, is I didn't want people to look at me and for this one this one thing that almost I want to kind of become a bit of a uh, an irrelevance in my life. All of a sudden, I felt if people know about it, then that's how they will define me. So, you know, it's kind of like if, if, if it sounds like what you're saying is if people look at you and straight away they know that you're living with MS, then that's going to be their definition of you when you're so much more. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I always feared, and so even now that I've, I've told people, I've just feared I'm just going to be known as that's the girl that has MS and she's running with MS. And it's like, I, I kind of, I can get why that those two kind of go together. And it's an interesting story, I guess, because it's quite unique. But um, yeah, I'm hoping that I can do more with my track and field to kind of show, you know, that it's not, I'm not just the athlete with MS. But it, I think it's just natural to to link a story to someone. You know, you, mm. you'll always go, oh, that's the guy that has, for example, the Olympic champion in the high jump has half a beard. Yeah. He always speaks with half a beard. And so you always go, that's the guy with half a beard. Like, it's always just the case. Someone, <laughs> there's a story that gets linked to someone. And so it's not so much, I guess, a negative term to, to attach to, to someone. I guess it's just a way to distinguish them from someone else. I guess, in a way, it's a positive. It makes you unique. Yeah, but also I think it's a way of of becoming a, a form of inspiration for others. Again, not, not necessarily with MS, but other forms of what people class as disabilities or ailments that they feel has this negative definition to them. I feel what you are doing is is flipping it around. And I think by say by by talking about it, you've become, you know, you yeah, yes, you have a, a kind of a USP about it, but it's 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 not a defining USP. It's a very inspiring um, USP. So did that motivate you? Because obviously when you found out um, or you had your diagnosis of, of MS, did you feel like then you had to you had to find another way of continuing? Because did you have to maybe adapt your training? Because all of a sudden you realise realize now that you are still going to compete with MS but things are going to be slightly different from now on. Yeah, I mean when I first got diagnosed um, I was still so the the relapse or the symptom that consequently led to the diagnosis was paralysis down the right side of my body. Um, so I was still dealing with the recovery from that. Um, it took like a, a couple months to kind of recover from that. So it was um, really just like learning to walk again, learning to jog again, learning to run. So I had to adapt my training in, in that sense. And then once that went away, 
and this is the thing with with relapsing remission MS, which is the kind of MS that I have. And and there's I'd say there's two types mainly, and the other type is split into two. There's relapsing remitting MS and there's progressive MS. And so relapsing remitting, you get these symptoms, they'll appear or present themselves in your body for a couple of days, couple of weeks, couple of months, and then um it can go down the inflammation in your um brain or your spinal cord will go down and then you'll regain you know normal function of your mm. body um so that's kind of ms i had so when that symptom of the right side paralysis went away i was literally just functioning as as a normal i could say normal <laughs> as a healthy, <laughs> healthy human being that's a bad word um so then i could just train normally and i didn't have to adapt any training in any way i just slotted right back into my training group albeit I was you know at the back of the training group but I still just slotted back in and just worked my way up again so it was it was adapting mentally to kind of say okay I'm not as good as I used to be but you know we'll just we'll just start building again so it was an adaptation in that sense so really just a mental way to kind of you know reframe what training means for for me and for someone who's you know dealing with any sort of illness um but in terms of you know seeing myself against other athletes i just thought you know athletes have injuries and you know other illnesses and you know they come back so this is just my form of a of a setback um so i didn't have to adapt training physically in any way obviously when i have relapses i take a little step back wait for my body to heal and then and then continue training again so it's a sort of a, a slower progression of training <laughs> I suppose what do you say about setbacks because i actually remember watching the interview you did after um, after race now f- forgive me if was it was the race in Oregon was it the championships in Oregon when yeah. you 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 made the announcement and I think you decided to make it as an explanation maybe to what could have been deemed as a setback like what what why why did you feel like that that was the right time for you to yeah. make that announcement was it because you felt like you had to explain what the what why you were having the setback. Yeah, so the the kind of thought process that was going through my head. Now that I look back here, I was in a very confused state of you know of life, and I was like, "What do I do? Like, what's the next step?" Um, going into those world championships, um, I was climbing the ranks, like the rankings of the world. Mm. So I think I started the season being ranked, I want to say, forty second in the world, and then I was doing kind of like the Diamond League circuit, so that got me ranked even higher, and I was coming in the top five in those top races. So I was climbing, climbing, climbing the rankings. So by the time I got to the World Championships, I went from like 42nd to 15th in the world. And so there was like a, you know, a few previews of the World Championships and my name kept coming up and it kept saying, you know, the Brit Lena Nilsson could probably make the final alongside the other Brit as well. Um, so it was like, you know, she could make the final. And then kind of before the heats, there's that BBC preview where they kind of talk about, you know, which Brits are running in this event. And it was, you know, Lena Nilsson and Jesse Knight, who's the other top ranked Brit. Um, and then I came last in my heat, which didn't make sense with those previews and the way I was competing in the season as well. Um, the race didn't look okay. You know, I lost my stripe pattern, not even halfway in the race and just faded badly. And I, and I just remember like knowing that it was a secret that I kept and they asked me in the BBC interview, the interviewer kept asking, kept pushing, is it injury? Is it an illness? Like what happened? And I was just like, it's an illness. And then in my head, I was like, that's not a good enough answer, is it? Um, and then so I, I flew home and I was actually sat on this very sofa and I was just contemplating my life. And I was like, what do I do? And something in my head just was in my gut was telling me, like, maybe now's a good time to show, you know, the other side of being an athlete with MS. You know, it just didn't go well at those world championships and maybe provide a little bit of explanation as to why I didn't, you know, hit those those. Um, expectations from from the outside and my own expectations and and it just a lot of things were saying this is the right time and yeah and then we had the commonwealth games just very soon after the world championships and the european championships and i just knew i wasn't going to be fully recovered for those and i know from previous relapses and symptoms it takes weeks to recover and i just knew i wasn't going to be in fighting shape but i was still selected to go to those championships so it would kind of provide an explanation for those championships as well as to why i was going to be running slower um and it could kind of give a real-time view of someone competing with MS who is not completely healthy. And those were just, it was so many reasons, but those were the main reasons that were screaming out to me. And and I was really glad when I did release my story because I had so many people message to say that they were going to watch me 
people who have MS or people who have family members with MS that they were going to watch me and they were going to support and just to see it. And I just think for me to be able to provide even just one person with that little bit of support just made all of it so worth it. And yeah, I was really proud of myself when I, when I crossed the line at the final championship of the year. Um, I did that. So, so what's the overwhelming response? One of, one of, positivity then yes it was it was all so positive and do you know what I never never expected so many people to to reach out and um, I really thought it was going to be two or three people that would be like oh yeah I watched your interview and I also have MS but it was it was in like the the high hundreds um, like so many people and it took me hours to respond to all those messages and it was really positive it the the main theme was inspiration you know um, motivation and I actually had a lot of messages from other sports people who have MS who are also keeping it quiet. I'm talking. Ah, interesting. Yeah, and that was that really surprised me. Like, so just off the top of my head, an Olympic gymnast, an Olympic skier, a CrossFit athlete, an ultra marathon runner, and more recently, I'm talking in the past couple of weeks, uh, an elite hurdler. So wow. And that surprised me because, again, these are people who have decided to stay silent because, again, they are so scared of that um perception that they'll get but they were so happy that they could see someone else who was doing uh, competing in their sport with ms and that they'll be okay um and so even now like i'm still kind of you know receiving such positive messages and um i think it's just something that will i'll carry for the remainder of my career so that's interesting how i feel you know when and and i followed your story how how good the reception has been for you Yet still, there's a, a perception which is holding people back from being, I suppose, their authentic selves because of a certain stigma um, around MS. So, I suppose, how how do you attempt to to kind of change that stigma around it? If there's still people who don't want to speak about it for fear. Um, for fear of being defined by, you know, something that isn't a disability to them. Yeah, I mean, so I say that there were so many positive responses. There were some, I wouldn't say negative responses, but but people who are slightly, I said, miseducated. Yeah. <laughs> a few, few people message saying, so why don't you compete in the Paralympics? And I was, I was just like, I was like, I even if I went up to the Paralympic committee and I said, hey, I want to compete at the Paralympics, I would get laughed at in my face because... It's, I, I don't have a present disability. And so I understand why that is like a, a common perception, because again, that's all we see when it comes to MS. But I feel like people who are competing and the people that I said who are still competing in their sport, they have this fear that people will just, you know, label them as 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 disabled. You know, why don't you go compete in the Paralympics? And I think for me, the one thing that I can do is just to be present and to show kind of real life. So um you know, I'm still posting my training videos, like training's going well. I haven't put, you know, um, so you, you'll find a lot of people with MS, they'll put, you know, some sort of hashtag in their Instagram bio or Twitter bio. Um, and I feel like I don't want to do that because that's kind of putting like a, a label on okay, yeah. me dealing with MS. So for me, it's just just posting as if I'm just, you know, and I am just a healthy human human being without putting that label on, you know, this is me doing, you know, a clean <laughs> and jerk in the gym and I have MS. Like, no, it's just, this is me doing a clean and jerk. Yeah. Just being present, just showing up, just being your authentic self. And I think that is one kind of one step or one of the first steps to really start to break that stigma, to not put a label on everything that, you know, that you do and, and to say that you're doing it despite having MS, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, no, that does make sense. Because I, I I think, you know, just I think something we should clarify for the people again who are listening is when you said about, you know, uh, when people thought, said, well, why didn't you become a para-athlete? Like they would, they would be para-athletes with a more aggressive form of MS, I'm, I'm assuming, would they be? Yes, actually, that's a really good point to make. Um, so I said a little bit earlier that there are two types of MS, yeah. or three, sometimes people class three types. Um, there's relapsing remitting, there's primary progressive and secondary progressive, and they kind of just progress as life goes on. So 
it kind of will eventually present itself as a disability. Um, relapsing or remitting can present as a disability and you can present as completely healthy. And it, it's so varied. And, and I sometimes argue with an umbrella term because there are just so many ways that it can present itself. You could have a relapse and then have 50% recovery from that relapse. They still have a bit of residual nerve damage or you can have 90% recovery, 95, or maybe a full recovery from those relapses. And it's so different for some people. So there are um, a few athletes who compete in the para um, Paralympics, para-athletics with MS. Um, and that's only because it's presented eventually as a disability. Uh, okay. And to, to those, I, like, I suppose to them, para-athletes, I don't know, did you use the athletes who... Um, who through no fault of their own have probably had to be open about the MS because it's been a visual thing for, for, for many years. Have you, did you use them as a form of inspiration then or maybe even still now? You know, because I, 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 Kadena Cox, Kadena Cox is um, uh, mm-hmm. one of the famous para-athletes with, with, with the MS. I actually did the jump with Kadena Cox. Oh, uh, yeah, I <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that was scary. <laughs> yeah, it was really scary. I ended up actually, my nickname for her in the end was Kadiva Cox because she was a real diva through the whole show. But a lovely, um, a lovely person. And for me, it was interesting because I think for, I saw firsthand um, the effects of MS because we basically lived um, together in a hotel for, oh, it seemed like about, about two or three months. And how... And on a, on a certain day, she'd be the life and soul of the party, and on another day, she'd struggle to get out of bed. Um, so, do do you use people who are um, who have always been open about their MS? Do you use them as a, a form of of, of kind of inspiration? Because I, I I've always found, you know, with with um, the Olympics, whenever you watch the Paralympics, I always find you get to know the person. Mm-hmm. a lot more than the athletes because para-athletes seem to talk a lot more openly about their vulnerabilities. So yeah. obviously you started speaking about something which was perceived to be a vulnerability. So did you use Kadena or anybody else as a as a form of like help or inspiration or go-to? Yeah, so Kadena is actually a really good friend of mine. Oh, um, really? She's, oh. <laughs> she's amazing. She's just an incredible human being and a credible athlete and just everything in between she's she got diagnosed about two months after I got diagnosed so she immediately um, told her story and I remember seeing her around track and field is such a small world and I remember seeing her around when she competed before the diagnosis and then when she came out with her diagnosis I immediately reached out to her because I hadn't really spoken to anyone about it um, and I reached out to her and she responded like straight away with so much advice and mm. so good positive words and I just kept in touch with her all these years and I actually told her before I told my story I was like it's time Kadena you know, I'm going to tell people <laughs> um, and she was so supportive and actually after the Commonwealth Games so that was the first competition I had after saying that I had a mess like she was right there at the finish line and just gave me the biggest hug that I just so needed um, so I've used her as inspiration all this all these years I'm talking eight years now I think and also Ali Smith um she's another Paralympian who has MS she's got secondary progressive and I've watched her all this time I haven't reached out I didn't reach out to her before my diagnosis but I'd always watch her races you know at the Paralympics or any para-athletics that she was competing at I'd be watching her and then so when I released my story she came up to me at the Commonwealth Games and I was like oh it's, it's so good to finally meet you I've literally watched every single one of your races I felt like a fan <laughs> She was like, "Have you? Like, yeah, I've watched every single one of your races." So they've been sort of inspiration to me, and you know they're just so powerful as as I'd say human beings first, and then athletes. You know, and I think it's really important to kind of see those people again being so vulnerable and just being so open, and you get to see them compete, and um, just to kind of be amongst them in in terms of inspiration um, is already a privilege enough. So. Yeah, I think it's just so important because they've helped me, I guess, without even realising. Um, so I don't even know. You just don't know how many people you're reaching who might be looking up to me and still to them. So, so when, you, when, when you talk about uh, vulnerability as you did then, um, again, I think for me when, you know, I first, well, I was forced to talk about my HIV diagnosis, which made me very vulnerable. What I found as well as it being a personal feeling vulnerability, it was also something that, I'd say affected my family and my really close friends. So I think we've heard a lot 
of how personally you kind of you 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 felt how did you feel that you open yourself opening yourself up in such a vulnerable way how do you feel that that affected your family or your really close friends because you know family and really close friends are very protective mm-hmm. yeah so um it's really interesting um in my case cuz my twin sister is also a professional athlete and she got diagnosed uh in 2021 with MS. Um, and so when I released my story, I had to warn her, I'd be like, look, people are going to start asking you questions about your MS as well, because she got diagnosed and she was still kind of dealing with that diagnosis. So I kind of had to let her know that, you know, this, this might affect you as well now, you know, uh, I'm going to be vulnerable. Um, so I kind of felt a bit, um, <laughs> a bit guilty, you know, just pushing her story out there as well. But, um, you know, it's, it's been really okay for her. And in terms of like all my friends, so I made sure to message all my friends before I knew the article was going to come out a, a bit before the Commonwealth Games. And so I messaged all my friends. I said, hey, like, this is what's happening. Um, and they were just also supportive. You know, my close, I'd say my close, close circle, um, they never treated me differently when I got diagnosed and didn't treat me differently after, you know, being public with MS. And then like the most vulnerable, I like the most vulnerable state that I was, was like competing at those Commonwealth Games. Like my race just went so horrible and I was just not okay I was super fatigued and I just it was I don't even watch that race back it was just awful um and like they was just you know saying this doesn't define you as an athlete like all your performances haven't been taken away just because you had that one bad race so it was really important for me to have my my close close friends and 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 family just you know to remind me that you know those bad performances and you know bad health with MS is not who I am and so really kept my strength up and and I think that was really important to to have those kind of people how did you how did you find you were treated by um when you started competing again how did you find you were treated by your teammates but maybe I I don't know by the opposition because I I suppose in a way you know I spoke about my HIV diagnosis after I'd retired playing rugby and I think with within any sport you know that I think the site and you'll know this the psycho psychological warfare that can go on, you know, pre-race or pre-game, um, can be a big part of winning or losing. And I know when I spoke about my sexuality when I played rugby, I was really, um, I felt really honoured that nobody used my sexuality in a way to kind of get under my skin or to wind me up or to push it so I'd give penalties away or to push it that I'd get sent off. Like, did you ever, did you ever feel that from, you know, have you ever felt, you know, that from, from, from teammates or competitors that you've been, been treated differently, differently in a negative way or has everything, has everything been the same? Because I think sometimes, you know, people think, you know, that you've done it to be celebrated. And you haven't done it to be celebrated. You've done it not to be discriminated against. You've done it actually to be treated equal. Yeah, no, do you know, I don't think there was any negative um, kind of uh, experiences towards me. It was more pity, if that's the right word to use. It yeah. was, you know, being treated like like I was the, a, a, a fragile character that just needed to be, you know, checked on. And um, in terms of when I so when I then end up going to the European Championships, there was so many championships last year. <laughs> it's hard to keep that. When I went, end up going to the European Championships, um, that was a big team of British athletes. I think there's 120 of us, which is just a big team. It was massive. Um, and I just remember walking into the dining hall and everyone was staring at me. And I was like, this is, well, not everyone, but like, a lot of people were like looking at me. She's like, is she walking funny? Like, is she okay? Like, what's she doing here? Shouldn't she be resting? Um, and then the physios were like really checking up on me like, we've got a free slot this afternoon. Do you want to come and, you know, get checked? I'm fine, guys. I'm honestly fine. It was, it was just, and I remember when I, I went to a specific journalist to, to release the story. And I, the first thing I said to him was, first and foremost, this is not a sob story in any way, shape or form. Don't take, don't put any kind of, you know, pity connotations to this story. Um, And it was one of the things I wanted to avoid, but I think it just comes with, with um, having, I guess, an illness that can present, in a way that's that's quite um i guess yeah um severe i guess in yeah. that words um so it, it wasn't so much negative and and you know track and field is a, i'd say a very supportive environment okay. um 
Well, even, not... even even when you're you know the the heat of competition, you're the because I know I know some people I've spoken to, um, you know, in in the changing rooms before they go out, it's kind of like you know it becomes kind of like a psychological kind of stare down or um, think, you know yeah. you know really really fueled. I think mainly in the shorter sprints. I can't ah, right. I can't speak for them, but from the stories I've heard, the shorter sprints and specifically the male shorter sprints. That's who I've spoken to, people who compete in them. Yeah, yeah. yeah they can be, you know, there's, there's, there's that talk of um, getting into people's heads and stuff. When it, when it comes to the 400 hurdles, and I've, I switched from the 400 to the 400 hurdles, the switch in camaraderie between the 400 girls and the 400 hurdle girls, it's, it was so different. Like we're so supportive of each other, you know, there's not really a rivalry in the UK. Like all the top ranked four hurdlers are so friendly to each other. Like we're in the call room giving each other lip gloss and, you know, <laughs> it's just really supportive. And I was really surprised because the 400, I guess it's a, more of a sprint than the four hurdles. Mm. I think the more the more sprint, sprinty the event is, the you know the more the tensions rise um with the 400 it was definitely you know a bit of tension in in the call room you know right before the race but in the four hurdles it's just so lovely it's like rainbows and butterflies compared to <laughs> the room that was the shorter sprint <laughs> that sounds like the changing rooms i want to be in yeah i mean and then when i finished the commonwealth games my heat you go back into the call room to get your kit and i had both the two Jamaicans who are in my heat just like like run up to me and be like, I read your article, I read your story. Like it's amazing. The fact that you got into the start line, like it was, it was very, very positive. You know, there yeah. wasn't anything, like, oh well, she's out of the competition now. It was very much like we hope you do well and we'll see you next year, kind of thing. It was really lovely. So so I suppose moving forward now, are you I don't know. I suppose like are you inspired, right, by the fact that you've been very authentic? And you represent something now, whether you want to want to admit it or not. I feel you represent the very human side of of athletics that I suppose not so not so many people see. So, is your motivation to be successful because of what you represent on on a side of 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 people understanding what MS is, or is your motivation what it always was? And that's to be successful because you want to be successful as an athlete. It's a really good question, actually. I'm going to have to think about that. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I think um, it's a bit of both in, in varying ways. Um, when I'm going to go back to last year because it was, you know, a lot changed last year. Yeah. Um, when I came back from the World Championships, there was a very a voice in my head saying, end your season, just just rest. But then when I released my story, that gave me so much motivation to just go again, go to the Europeans. And I was, by the time the Europeans came around, that was about a month after the World Championships and I had lost so much training. I, I was skinnier as well. My muscle had just <laughs> depleted. Um, and like nothing was was pushing me to compete. I didn't have anything to prove, you know. I had already got my world ranking um, already was basically finalized there was no other reason for me to compete and the one thing that pushed me to to go was um to 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 provide i guess um inspiration for people with ms and that was really the, the driving force to take me to the europeans now that i'm back into training and back into almost full health um the motivation is what it's always been and that's just to get as far as i can to make the world championship team to make the olympic team hopefully um that's just that's the primary focus um but there is a little part of me that is being extra push because um yeah of 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 hopefully that the the icon that i, I can be to people who yeah. are uh, dealing with any sort of illness. Any and, sort of yeah, and, and I think, do you know the reason why I ask that question is because I think I think when it comes to like tackling stigma or dealing with stigma, is first of all, we self-stigmatise ourselves, which is something I've done and it's something you've spoken about, in that, in that, you know, we kind of, we kind of don't really understand ourselves. And then when I understood what HIV was or when you underst- understood what what MS was, you feel that then you have a role to play in educating everybody, everybody else. And I feel that when you grow, grow as a person, then you kind of grow into that role, and it becomes it be, it becomes something that's you know becomes something that's really really important, important to you, and and it, it becomes something that you want to be part part of your success. It's not all about that. 
Mm-hmm. But part of your success is learning to be learning to be a successful athlete. Because I remember people used to say to me when I spoke about my sexuality, first of all, and I said to people, you know, I don't want to be known as the gay rugby player. And then five or six years later, I remember thinking to myself, well, I'm gay and I'm a rugby player. So why don't I want to be known as the gay rugby player? You know, I've, I've accepted it. I've dealt with it. And mm-hmm. now I want to help other people be able to accept and deal with it if they're in the same, if they're in the same kind of situation. So on that, so what do you feel then are the barriers um, to changing the perceptions that people have of people living with with MS? You're obviously one, and I think you continuing to be you is um, is is very much doing that. But what do you feel the other barriers are? Oh, that's a good question. You hit the nail on the head there with that point you said about um, you know being a rugby player and being gay and you know being an athlete and having MS you know I do feel like the past few months I've really come into a form of acceptance yeah I felt like I was fighting this like trying to prove to people that I'm not disabled that I'm not going to go to the Paralympics and now it's like you know okay if you want to feel that way that's fine but let me just tell you a little bit more about MS so that you can really understand (laughs) yeah yeah, but I, I, I genuinely think you know I genuinely feel that the minute you're able to embrace it Mm-hmm. You know the mm-hmm. the the minute the minute other people start to accept you more because it's kind of no yeah. no I'm, I I I don't want to hide it you know I don't want to yeah. deny deny it in fact I want to start talking about it in fact I want to educate you about it and I think yeah. being that being that proactive being being that proactive person on a subject that society is mis, misled about is the only mm-hmm. way the the society will kind of you know understand the barriers that are yeah. there and what you're trying to do to break them barriers down. So when I say, you know, what kind of what kind of other barriers are out, are out there, is it just because you think that as soon as people think of somebody living with MS, they expect to see somebody in a wheelchair, somebody who, you know, needs to be, needs to be, need, needs help to go from A to B. Is that the mm-hmm. perception that you think that that, that is out there? Yeah. And, I, and you know, when you speak about barriers, I think the main barrier will come from yourself or from myself, from any anyone's self, mm. <laughs> is that, you know, you, you think people have this perception. So you, you kind of hold yourself back or, or you know, uh, dim your light down a little bit so as to not feed into that perception. Um, but really, like perceptions, like how are they affecting you really like you know you can just go out there and just do the performance that that you know best you know and I think if you know you know yourself and you're very secure in yourself your sport or whatever venture that you're you're doing if you're very secure and confident in that then you know those perceptions shouldn't really matter to you in that kind of space that makes Mm. sense yeah yeah yeah, it does Um, so I feel like yeah the at first, it was very much like, okay, I need to prove to people that, you know, I'm okay. You know, I wasn't okay, but I wanted to prove to people that I was okay and I'm healthy. And it was kind of fighting that perception, like trying to fight, you know, um, that that say that you are, you know, now disabled, that you're this, that, and the other. Um, but actually, I should have just focused on the performances and what I can do that day. And whoever wants to perceive it a certain way perceives it. But then after that, there becomes that role that you said, you know, that responsibility, this platform that you now have to really start to educate people. Um, not just not so much to remove the barriers, but to kind of, you know, um, I, I guess to remove the barriers, but to kind of educate more so that people can really understand a bit more as to remove those, those, you know, classic perceptions yeah. that people. So do you, do you honest, and I think this is a very much an honesty question. It's like, do you, do you honestly care now about um, what people perceive of you, of people who don't know you? And by the way, before I before you answer that question, I feel like it is okay to say yes. It is okay to say, yeah, I do care. Oh, <laughs> do I care how people perceive me? Yeah, if we, if we, when when you say at the, at the start of the interview, you know, the perceptions of people living with MS are are not true to the reality of the, some of the different forms of, of 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 MS. Do you care then how you're perceived? You know, if, when people say, "Oh, you know, well, why don't you? Why 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 aren't you in the para para athletes?" You know, or 
you know, uh, do you do you, do you care that much about that perception of other people? I think part of me does. Yeah, it yeah. does care a little bit. You know, I had I had one hateful message last year and I carried that with me for so many weeks, like compared to all the positive messages I got. It was that one negative message that really stuck with me. And I don't know why. And I questioned it for a long time. You know, I, I love to journal. And I'd always put in my journals like, why do I still think about that one message? Mm. And I think the reason why I thought about it so much was because it was wrong. It was wrong what they said. It was it wasn't. Um, I guess the message alluded to the fact that I was doing this for publicity, that I was doing it to, you know, get mm. a celebrity status. And I was like, what are you talking about? Like, but the, I think the reason I cared about it so much was because it wasn't right. Yeah. What they said was completely a wrong perception. And I think part of me still cares about how people perceive me because it's, an, it's another wrong perception. It's not completely right. So part of me, I guess, cares because I want to right the wrongs um, mm. because I want people to see me in a truthful way. So yeah. I guess that, that part of, that's why I care so much and I think that's why I want to show up and I want to you know speak out and 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 I wanted to show kind of what it actually is for some people with MS who have a similar type of MS to me and I'm not you know and I, I try to be really sensitive and careful to the other side of MS which can present you know in a, in, in a disability in um you know an unhealthy kind of way um but then I also didn't want to neglect the other people who have MS who are 90% of the time um, living a healthy lifestyle. Um, so, yeah, it's one of my motivations to speak out a bit more is just to, to be truthful to that side of MS, yeah. you know, to show that it's not, you know, all, um, I, I say doom and gloom, it's not really doom and gloom, but, you know, to show that it's not always sad. Do you, do you feel that other, pe other people you've spoken to or have you heard of other people who are, are living with MS as well. People like Kadena, for instance, like do they do they face um, forms of stigma as well? Do they face face forms of discrimination on a, on a kind of a, I don't know a regular or it, it doesn't matter if it's regular or irregular to be honest with you. But on on a on a on a basis, do they face it? Yeah, I know Kadena deals with a lot of it, and you know I, I can't really speak so much for her because you know her experience is her experience. But yeah. from what I could tell, after she went on I'm a Celebrity, mm. um, she got a lot of hate, especially on TikTok. Um, and I think social media is just you know one of those things where you see one side of your life. You know, you, we call it a highlight reel. Yeah. Um, she had a lot of hate on on TikTok because when the cameras were on, well, I'm a Celebrity. I'm sure it was probably similar when you did the jump. Um, she wasn't in a wheelchair. And so people were like, you're lying. You never need to use a wheelchair and stuff like that. And then she had to almost prove that she needed a wheelchair. And I was like, it's so sad because you don't have to prove this, you know, like, and it's, and it's sad because there was, there was a lot of hateful comments and, and she almost had to like prove that she wasn't lying and that it's MS presents itself. Some days you're fine and some days you're not yeah. um, in her example. So I felt really sorry for her and I'd always see her, you know, posting, posting TikToks where she would put herself in her wheelchair and film it and I was like that, that's so sad because people have forced you to do that and not yeah. forced you but the, the 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 hate that you got has has led you to to think that that's what you know you need to prove um so I guess in in her case yeah she, there there was another perception there that was yeah again wrong and she had to prove her truth and her right yeah uh, and it's do you know what it is MS is just so number one it's very very person to person um so if you say I have a mess and you see people in a wheelchair, people just automatically assume, well, if she's in a wheelchair, shouldn't you be in a wheelchair? But then with that comes the misunderstanding of what MS actually is and um and yeah, kind of the different forms of MS that you see. So for example, people always think that, you know, we should all be in a wheelchair because that's the only form of MS that we really see. Mm. And so if we start to see other forms of MS, we can start to say, oh, okay, so she says she's got a mess, but I know someone else who has MS who competes on track and field so she must have her type of mess and so that's where it's really important i think for people to show different types and then that way i think we can start to remove certain perceptions of ms yeah because science and medicine has made big steps in ms and in hiv for instance in hiv when you're on effective medication you cannot transmit the virus through sexual contact but most people still who live with hiv experience stigma in one form or another whether it's being excluded or shunned by family and friends, to being discriminated against at work or elsewhere or being verbally abused. And that's why, 
You know, I started the Tackle HIV campaign together with Vive Healthcare and the Terence Higgins Trust as the charity partner and with the great support of Prince Harry and Sir Elton John. Yeah, and I think, again, I think from what you're doing and just your authentic self, because we do a survey um, with Tackle HIV around the subject of of HIV, obviously, and it says that um, on one of our surveys we did... um, 68% 68% said their views about HIV have changed over their life over their lifetime. And that's because of organisations like te- uh, charities like Terence Higgins Trust to tackle HIV campaign that I run, and that 50% are saying they are now better informed. However, levels of misunderstanding don't reflect this because, for example, fewer than one in five, which is 18% of people, know that someone living with HIV who is on effective treatment cannot pass HIV on to their sexual partner. Um, when told this is the case of the 82% of those who didn't know this fact, 22% said they didn't believe it. 19% said that they wish they'd known before as it had changed their view. A third said it made them less fearful of people living with HIV. So, again, what I think this shows in what we are doing here at Tackle HIV and what you're doing and what the stories you're telling us about yourself and in particular then about Kadena is that education is key. Like educating people who have a very stereotypical perception of something that isn't isn't as obvious as they as as they first thought creates a better environment. Um a better environment for everybody. And that's why I feel it's really important that you firstly spoke about it, but also I think it's really important that you continue to speak about it. You don't let it define you, but as we said earlier, I think you, you've, you've accepted it, and by accepting it and continue, continually speaking about it and being your successful self, you're actually going to change people's, people's, people's perceptions of, of what MS is, how there are different forms of MS, and how you can be still successful with any form of MS. Do you agree with that? 100%. I think you've just hit the, the nail on the head there. And, you know, I take it back to like a, a, a rogue example. We all once thought the earth was flat, you know? I we, <laughs> the, human, the human race once thought Are you telling me flat. it's not? and then and then we all just like to get you know these these little nuggets of information and then we all realize actually that's not flat it's kind of like that you know we all have this one belief that something's a certain way and then you get these nuggets of information or these little pieces of someone's life and then you can start to see the whole picture and I think that's what obviously you're starting to do with type of HIV and, and hopefully I can provide just a little bit of, uh, of of a glimpse into the other side of MS. And I think that's why I'm really passionate about kind of um, talking about it. I'm working on a documentary with Sky at the moment to kind of show Brilliant. different sides of, um, of MS and, and talking to like so many different people. I spoke to a neuroscientist recently that really just opened my eyes and yeah. I'm someone living with MS and, mm. and the things that he said was just so powerful and I'm so, so excited to, to, to release that project. But I just think, yeah, if we if we can have just so many more people just just providing little glimpses of personal life, but then also education, uh, science, information as well, yeah, uh, paint the whole picture. So when it comes to yourself, then apart from this amazing documentary coming up on Sky that you just dropped in there, um, <laughs> you've got, you've got some big big championships coming um, coming up. How are like how are preparations going? How are preparations going for it? Yeah, do you know they're going they're going really well at the moment. Actually, I was um, I was still kind of struggling with with training a little bit. Um, so our, our training year kind of runs from about October until the championships in August. Um, so the the first few months I was like, oh, could this could this be my retirement? Um, but no, the training is going really well. I've been learning so many new things about my event, which I'm really excited to put into play. Um, my outdoor competition season starts in two months. Uh, <laughs> I'm so nervous. Uh, um, but I'm, I'm also really excited to get it underway because um, I feel like I've changed certain things about my race. So just to put them into play will be really exciting. We've got the World Championships in August this year. Hopefully if I get in, if I keep my ranking at the moment, which is in the top 20 to get in. Um, and then the Paris Olympics the following summer. Which oh, is, like, come on. Exciting, <laughs> nerve-wracking, but super exciting. Um, 
yeah, just lots to look forward to. Before before I kind of shut it down, this is one thing I've always, I don't know, I feel like I've always wanted to be. So I I, I got this opportunity to ask you this question: Are you are you the, are you, are you in the top twenty in the world right now? Yeah, 16th. Right. I got so, down. <laughs> I, I, you sound like that's a bad thing because this is what I could never... So I'm a... T- you know, I played rugby, which is very much always, always part of a team. Like, how does it feel? Like, you say, you say like, you're devastated but to be 16 because you got pushed down. But, like, how does it feel to be the 16th best 400-metre hurdler female in the world like that's a top 20 like in the world out of everyone who runs that event in the world like how does that feel do you know sometimes i do pinch myself like a 17 year old me would be so pleased she'd be like what like how do we get to top 20 um but then other parts of me i think this the athlete in you you're just never satisfied you're just kind of like oh but now i want to be top 15 and then top 10 and then you know so um part of me is not satisfied i want to be i want to be inching closer to the top 10 rankings which would be great um but yeah i think sometimes you have to just you know take a moment to really just be proud of yourself and i definitely am oh you've got to be proud yeah so i think kind of to round it off um for people who are listening to this podcast what what can they do to get um to have better knowledge to be better educated um around ms what what do you feel is like kind of you know things that they should do for their everyday life so the number one top tip i would give controversially is don't google what is ms there are there are not good sources that will come up um the one thing i'd say is go to um known organizations the ms trust has amazing resources the ms society has amazing resources and then even kind of for younger people shift.ms has a great forum for people who are um kind of late teens early 20s that's another great resource. Um, and just if you really want to learn about it, there are great resources on that. And then and then I think the, the other great advice is I would, um, if you can, find people who have MS, you know, either public figures or people that you know, and ask them hmm. what their experience of MS is. Or like look at Kadena's Instagram or TikTok or my Instagram or TikTok or social media um, and other, you know, public figures. I know there's a few Hollywood actors or actresses, uh, actors. <laughs> <laughs> released their stories recently i think christina applegate is a recent one you know maybe learn about her life and her personal experience because that's the best way to kind of get a full understanding of ms yeah because for for me you know education is the key and we have a website here at tackle hv which is tacklehv.org or you can go to the terence higgins trust website or follow us on social media at tackle hiv where you can educate yourself and others about HIV so that you treat people living with HIV the same way that you would treat others. Um, so, Lena, I just want to say now, uh, thank you. That's been brilliantly interesting, amazingly insightful. Um, it sounds like what you're saying is that together we can all make all make a difference. Um, so join us for our future podcast where I'll be talking to more guests about stigma. Lena, you are a legend. Thank you so much. This has been great. Bless you. Thank you so much. (laughs)